Hi, I'm Dan Pramat, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Bridge Bank. Today's Tuesday, September 15th. North Dakota's COVID cases are way up, Dell's number of employees is going down, and we're focused on how the TikTok saga is playing in China. By this time next week, we should all know if TikTok will be allowed to continue operating in the U.S., or if it'll be in the process of getting banned by President Trump. The app's Chinese parent company, ByteDance, recently submitted a savior proposal to CFIUS, which is the multi-agency U.S. government group that oversees cross-border transactions from a national security perspective. Now, details of ByteDance's exact proposal are private, but what we do know is that it no longer involves a sale of TikTok U.S. Instead, it would establish a new U.S.-based company in which ByteDance would have just a minority stake. The rest would be owned by a combination of U.S. venture capital firms, Oracle, and possibly Walmart. Oracle also would be the one responsible for data privacy and security, basically acting like a cloud hosting company on steroids. Already, there are objections to this proposal in the U.S. from folks who believe it does not do enough to satisfy national security concerns. Republican Senator Josh Hawley, for example, has already called for CFIUS to outright reject the deal, largely because ByteDance will still have that minority stake. But if you've been following the saga, you already know the U.S. perspective and President Trump's perspective, too. What we wanted to do today in the show was to look at this from within China, where TikTok itself doesn't actually even exist as an app, but where Trump's threat to ban it is nonetheless top of mind. We'll do that in 15 seconds with Yunus Yoon, CNBC's Beijing bureau chief. But first, this. We're joined now by Yunus Yoon, CNBC's Beijing bureau chief. So Yunus, this TikTok saga has kind of become part of the U.S. business tech zeitgeist. Is it the same in China? Is this something that people are talking about or not? People are definitely talking about it, and they've been talking about it for weeks since President Trump had first threatened to shut down TikTok. This company wasn't necessarily seen as one that was on the map. A lot of Chinese people were aware that TikTok existed, but since it's actually not operating here in China, most people weren't so aware, and then it suddenly came to the fore. So I think the way it's being viewed here for the most part is that this is an assault on Chinese tech, and that this is a way for the U.S. to keep China down. That's the narrative that you see a lot in the state press. The deal that's been proposed, do you believe that that's something that's going to be palatable to the Chinese government and also to people in China who are feeling kind of victimized by this, as you said? Well, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to a lot of Chinese tech entrepreneurs today, and they said that this is the best possible outcome for ByteDance. And they see it as a, a win pretty much all around, except for maybe Americans and their data security, if you look at it more closely. But in terms of the win-win-win, it's just that ByteDance now looks as though will not necessarily have to give up its algorithms, which is the company's secret sauce. It would continue potentially to run TikTok or at least have some stake in the company, which is something that it might not have had if it was an outright sale, and then can address the U.S. security concerns that were brought forth by the Trump administration by having potentially Oracle and Larry Ellison, who is seen as a very close Trump ally, 
managing the data. So from ByteDance's perspective and from the Chinese tech community's perspective, this is seen as a really big win for the company if it were to go through. In terms of the Chinese government, it would also potentially seen as palatable because, again, in the state press, this was being described by ByteDance's founder, Zhang Yiming, as a corporate restructuring. And so the way it's being portrayed here as a similar arrangement that you would see here in China, where you would have, for example, like I mentioned in the state press, they've been talking about Apple. So it's being compared to Apple having its data managed by a Chinese cloud company. One of the arguments that you hear from people in the U.S. is their frustration, their endless frustration with kind of tech transfer rules in China when it comes to U.S. tech companies wanting to operate in China. So in China, is this being kind of viewed the same? This is tech transfer. And rather than being upset about that, them viewing this as kind of validation, like, hey, we do this, they're doing it too. Well, from the Chinese government perspective, it is seen as a, a validation of their arrangement and their mechanism. But I think that what's really interesting is, and what's kind of ironic here, is that the Chinese government over and over are talking about how this is a way that the U.S. government is suppressing Chinese companies. And this is incredibly unfair that the U.S. is hypocritical about its, quote unquote, fair market rules. But at the same time, this is coming from a government that is kind of crazy about data, making sure that it has access to whatever data is here, that has a lot of restrictions on media. You wouldn't even have a TikTok operating here. So China would actually never have gotten into the same problem. So that's the irony of this entire situation. When you say they're crazy about data, one of the things that has been one of the concerns about TikTok is this rule that theoretically, if you are a Chinese tech company, that the Chinese Communist Party can request the data and you're supposed to give it over. I wonder, is that a rule that at least privately that Chinese tech entrepreneurs chafe at because it does restrict their ability or certainly what we're seeing out of the TikTok example will restrict their ability to expand into the U.S.? Yeah, well, that actually is something that's pretty interesting about Zhang Yiming, who is, again, the founder of ByteDance, because he's been seen as a bit of a political outsider. He's had a couple of run-ins with the government, in fact, on his social media feed, which he hasn't been commenting on, but they want to survive. They want to do well. China's a huge market. They could make a lot of money here, so they do play by the rules. ByteDance's CEO has had some kind of political PR issues in China, not viewed as being kind of loyal enough to China. Given that he's now not selling the company outright, has this helped him out in terms of his local popular perception? Not really, which is really interesting because, you know, in the U.S., what I find interesting watching it from the whole discussion in the United States from here is that in the U.S., he's really painted as a stooge or a Communist Party agent. And whereas in China, he is being vilified for being too much of a traitor to the nation. And that hasn't changed in the last couple of weeks. It has not changed. In fact, the discussion around the Oracle deal right now is that, oh, thank God that the Chinese government was able to put in these export control rules, which is stopping the export of a bike dance's algorithm. And that the Chinese government is the one that was able to save a Chinese company as opposed to Zhang Yiming. Eunice, final question for you, which isn't TikTok specific, but it, it does relate to a Trump executive order that came on the same day, which has to do with WeChat and Tencent. I know that WeChat, obviously in China, it's a very big deal. In the US, though, it gets used a lot by Chinese expats communicating with family, communicating with business, friends, et cetera, back home. If it is banned, is there a backup plan for how they're going to communicate with friends and family in the US, a different technology? 
there isn't anything that's going to be as straightforward. Actually, today I had a couple of people tell me that they're not going to be able, allowed to communicate with me anymore over WeChat because their companies have told them they have to delete WeChat from their smartphones. So I asked actually that question. I said, how are we going to communicate? They said, well, through email, through text messaging, you know, it's just not going to be as straightforward. But yeah, they're definitely making those decisions. Eunice Yoon, Beijing Bureau Chief for CNBC. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much. Welcome back. What we're watching today is Nikola, an electric truck maker whose shares are getting pummeled after Bloomberg reported that the SEC is looking into a short seller's claim that Nikola may have lied about the status of its technology. Why it matters is that Nikola just weeks ago signed a massive partnership with General Motors, whereby GM would help manufacture the truck and GM would get around $2 billion in Nikola stock. So I asked Axios Transportation reporter Joanne Muller about why GM signed the deal in the first place and if the SEC does find fraud, if it could cost GM CEO Mary Barra her job. Well, the simple answer is that it costs a lot of money to develop these new technologies. What's helpful about the Nikola deal is that they're going to basically build an electric pickup truck for them, and that gives them scale, it spreads the cost. It's very useful to have another customer for their technology. I think that Mary Barra has proven herself to be a very good CEO who's gotten GM through some very difficult times, and she has really positioned the company for the future. It might be a blemish on her record, but I think in balance, everything that she's done is put the company on the right track. Today, we've also been watching the Apple launch event, but not too closely because, first of all, it's just a massive PR pitch, but also because it's more about a new crop of watches and tablets, not iPhones. And finally, today, we are watching Scientific American, which formally endorsed Joe Biden for president. Most media endorsements are unremarkable. But this one stands apart because Scientific American is the country's oldest continuously published monthly magazine. And this is the first ever presidential endorsement in its 175-year history. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national double cheeseburger day. And don't confuse that with National Cheeseburger Day. That comes Friday. We'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.